right, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Difficult Conversations by Supply the Why. Tonight, we got an outstanding guest for you tonight. We have coach and professional lacrosse player, Marty Bowes. He is going to talk to us about leadership. He's going to talk to us a little bit about diversity, his views on diversifying his game. And he's going to talk a little bit about mentorship and what that means to him. So without further ado, let me go ahead and bring Marty up on the screen. A lot lately. Marty, what's happening? Hey, what's going on, Dean? Thanks so much for having me. Uh, I'm, uh, the, the honor's all mine. I am, uh, I'm excited to hear, to let people in on some of the conversations that you and I have been having about a variety of, suspect, uh, of subjects, meaning, meaning from coaching to mentorship to even playing. Like, what's it going to take um, for you to continue your, your fan? So tell us a little bit about yourself. What have you been doing and what your plans are? Sure. Yeah. I, uh, you know, I coach as my main occupation. I, I've been playing for eight seasons, took the last season and a half off of playing and really focused on coaching. And it's been interesting, of course, since uh, everything has occurred, um, really focused on online uh, mentorship and, and shifting my business model from in-person. I still offer some in-person training to uh, a lot of online mentorship. And it's, um, it's allowed me to actually go deeper with uh, with many of my clients, so I don't quite have uh, as big of a volume of clientele per se, but I've gotten some really really great work with um, with the clients that have stuck it out, and um, also got a great opportunity to coach at St. Michael's College up here in Burlington, Vermont, and just blessed, man, just so lucky to be able to keep coaching and doing what I love. So, Marty, can I just circle back when you said go deeper with your clients? What does that mean? Well, uh, I, it's a good question. I, I think. What I really mean is uh, I get to know them better. Uh, I, I instill things like discipline and accountability. You know, if I, um, if I see a client once a week in person and we do training together, whether it's individual or small group, we're going to have fun. We're going to get better. We're going to get after it you know, when we're there together. But then what? What happens when they go home, you know, and how productive is their practice on their own? Where now with this mentorship program, it allows me to facilitate some of that at-home work with a little bit more of a finely, you know, tuned comb. And um, it's, it's, uh, it's been this opening up, up of personalities, you know, where I get to see them in this different environment. They see me in this different environment. So um, depth in that, um, I feel like I really get to know them on a deeper level. All right. So tell us a little bit about your upbringing, like where, where you're from, what did, you know, what were you into as a, uh, as a teen and a, and a youth? Sure. So grew up in Quincy, uh, just south of Boston, and just obsessed with sports. Uh, couldn't couldn't get enough. I, I, all different types of sports, skateboarding, baseball, basketball was my first love. Picked up lacrosse stick in sixth grade. Love volleyball, like just love playing sports. And I've always just kind of been that jock guy, always trying to, you know, win races, even when it's with my family and, and playing cards isn't fun with me and stuff like that. But <laughs> I grew up in Quincy and yeah, not a big lacrosse city by any means. And luckily had some, some good mentors in, in that stage of my life that planted the seed to play at the college level. So I definitely thought about that from a young age, but um, just grew up in the city, you know, just hanging out with my friends, you know, uh, recruiting wasn't a big thing then club wasn't a big thing then. And so I just really, um, I had a great, a great childhood experience, you know, huge shout out to my parents. Amazing 
uh, environment that they created for me to believe in myself and support me, you know, both mentally and financially. And so um, really, really blessed to, to have the upbringing that I did. That's outstanding. So you went from Quincy and you ended up at the University of Hartford where you had an unbelievable college career, right? It was it was good. I you know I'll brag I, for I, you. I know you don't want to brag. I'll yeah, brag I'm, for I'm you. A you, Hall of Famer, but, you know, but um, I was able to get better every year, for sure. And then that led to you becoming a professional lacrosse player, a pro athlete. So what yes, was sir. what was that transition like? And like from a mentality standpoint, from a preparation standpoint, what was that process like? Humbling. <laughs> uh, I didn't even sniff the field, man, when I first got there. Um, I got drafted by the Boston Cannons when they had Paul Rabel, Ryan Boyle, Kyle Sweeney, Mitch Belisle, all these legends. Um, but I got access to them, and I was able to practice with them and, and play in that environment. And it took me about a year and a half to actually get some playing time. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, just to speak to your question about the training, couldn't be more different than at the college level, right? You're told what to do um, up until that point. You know, show up at the weight room here. Um this is what you're doing for your workout today. Show up at practice at this time. Go to your study hall hours. Everything's sort of laid out for you. When you get to the pros, you're on your own, you know, and you show up on, on a Friday for a practice. You either ball out or you don't, you know, and it really is uh, cutthroat in that, you know, if you have a big name tied to, to your game, maybe there's a little more leeway. But for the most part, you know, you string together one or two bad days in a row, see you later. You know, you're not coming back. Um, or at least you're getting replaced for a week and maybe you'll get another chance in a couple of weeks, but you know, you need to, you need to really put up and um, the training process is completely individual. You know, you, you Monday through Thursday, you're on your own and Friday through Sunday, you're with the team. So it's uh, it's, it's day and night different than, than the college level. And that, that sounds crazy to me. I mean, you almost have like an old school NFL type, experience and what i mean by that is in the old school nfl players and probably even some of the nba players had to work jobs in addition to being a professional football or basketball player so what is that like trying to work during the week and find yeah. out that's going to be flexible and let you travel you know old school nfl they didn't do it for the money right right <laughs> um we do it because we love it right it's 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 uh it's so much fun but that's the reality it's not a full-time job it's a part-time job um, a lot of guys coach because when you coach, you naturally already have the stick in your hand. And a lot of times like myself running a coaching business, I can take as many clients or not take as many clients as, as I so choose on a week to week basis, which allows me to train like a professional, you know, spend two to three hours a day preparing my, my body and mind for, uh, that elite level. So, um, you know, and it's uh, it's something that is taken a lot more seriously, especially in the last couple of years with the with the evolution of the PLL. Um, guys that play both NLL and PLL, you know, now it's looking like more of an all year round professional athlete job. But even then, you still need some sort of other supplemental income. So it's you know it's it's a grind, right? But like, man, what a lucky grind to be a part of. That's amazing. And then you have a third thing that you do. You're the CEO of your own company, right? You own it. You own a business on top of all this. So tell us about the, so the name of that business is it's compete, right? That's right. All right. So tell us about compete and how that started. 
So Compete Lacrosse Academy, uh, that's the LLC I run uh, my business out of. Uh, huge shout out to my business partner, Joe Drain. Uh, so that, that is my own separate LLC. However, he started a business called Compete Strength and Conditioning. And he's been an incredible mentor to me. Uh, he's my strength and conditioning coach, uh, one of my great friends, and um, really helped me mentally you know, over the years to, to help me uh, become more productive and have better habits and things like that. But uh, the business started as going to people's backyards, renting some field space at a, at a local field and seeing if I could get 20 kids to show up just to cover the bill. Um, and that's all it really was just, Hey, let's see if, if we have something here. And again, huge shout out to Joe. We were able to, um, start a brick and mortar business in Norwood, um, that allowed me to have my own space. You know, that's really a game changer for a skill development coach to not, you know, I had ex, ex, um, fees for the space, but I, I, I owned it, right. I own it. And so that money that gets put back into the business is it, it doesn't feel like as much of a, uh, a rent, you know, it feels like more of a mortgage, right. Where I'm kind of uh, feeding into the business with it. So really, really lucky to have that opportunity, but, it's, it's just been, like I said, it's been going deep with clients, you know, like really taking them in and, and, and for the longest time, not saying no to anyone. You know, I take kindergartners, first timers, I take pros and everything in between. Um, so it's, it's given me this unique perspective to work with such a wide variety of, of athlete, you know, personality types, but also ages and genders and, and, uh, and race. You know, uh, it's been it's been a really, really cool opportunity. So. That brings me to a video that I want to show because I try to do this at least once a show. I try to show a video that kind of ties in everything we want to talk about. We'll take a look at the video. Then afterwards, we'll transition to some of the deeper topics that uh, that we talked about before we brought you on. So everybody stand by for this video. I think people are going to know this one. All right, man, listen. I'm Gary. You're Julius. Let's get some particulars and just get this over with, all right? Particulars? Yeah. No matter what I tell you, you ain't gonna never know nothing about hey, me. Hey, listen. I ain't running any more of these three days, okay? Well, what I got to say, you really don't want to hear, because honesty ain't too high up on your people priority list, right? Honesty? You want honesty? All right, honestly, I think you're nothing. Nothing but a pure waste of God-given talent. You don't listen to nobody, man. Not even Doc or Boone. Shiver, push on the line every time, man. You blow right past them. Push them, pull them, do something. You can't run over everybody in this league. And every time you do, you leave one of your teammates hanging out to dry. Me in particular. Why should I give a hoot about you? Huh? Or anybody else out there? You want to talk about a waste? You the captain, right? Right. Captain's supposed to be the leader, right? Right. You got a job? I have a you job. You been doing your job? I've been doing my job. Then why don't you tell your white buddies to block for Rev better? Because they have not blocked for him worth a plug nickel, and you know it. Nobody plays, yourself included. I'm supposed to wear myself out for the team? What team? No. No, what I'm going to do is I'm going to look out for myself, and I'm going to get mine. See, man. That's the worst attitude I ever heard. Attitude reflect leadership, Captain. Ooh, ooh, ooh. 
I love that clip. I never get tired of that. So, attitude reflects leadership, Captain. <laughs> so, tell me about that clip. How does that make you feel? And how does that how does that Oof. go with your brand as far as what you're trying to instill with some of your younger athletes? Yeah, I'll, I'll try to answer that as best I can. I mean, definitely uh, gives me some butterflies. I just, I, you know, that tension, it's so real, you know, so raw. You can, you can see that that's, um, that's it's, it's a real emotion that each of them are having. And I think it's very uh, authentic, you know, as far as how it's tied to my brand, you know, I don't know exactly how it's tied to my brand, but I'll tell you the, the honesty part, you know, on, on, on the captain's part, um, I appreciate his honesty and, and how he, he really, he's, he's, he's speaking how he really feels. And one of my favorite moments is when his face changes as he tells him, you know, you're not, why aren't your white friends blocking for rev on this certain, you know, package. And you can see his face change. Um, and those are the moments like that reminds me of, you know, maybe it's not race related particularly, but, it reminds me of a moment when, when a kid has an aha moment, you know, and it's like, oh, and you think about it a different way. Um, and that's something that I really try to facilitate at least once a session with, with, with my clients, right? Like, you know, we should have at least one aha moment that you say, okay, let me think about this a different way now, you know, because you've shed some light on something. So, I mean, I, I love that. It fires me up for some reason. I wanted to like run through a brick wall or I'm going to do some pushups or something, man. <laughs> So you and I, we've talked a lot about accountability in the last in the last few days, and I know that's something that's huge with you. And that and that was actually when I when I first came across this clip when I was researching what would work best with your brand, the accountability piece jumped right off the page at me because that is something that um, I think you you you're really you're really onto something by focusing on accountability and and just finding different ways to make your younger athletes understand the importance of accountability and then how to apply it. But, but mm. apply it without beating yourself down at the same time, it's a, it's a, fa it's a funny line that you got to try to navigate there. Yeah. You want to speak to that? No. A little bit? Yeah, no, for sure. You know, what, what, where my mind goes is I've, I've been really lucky as of late to go deeper into what accountability means to me because of training in the martial arts. You know, and, and that's something that my sensei preaches is it's, you know, accountability can be sliced and diced. You know, who are you really accountable to? Right. And ultimately it's ourselves. Mm -hmm. And so when we hold ourselves accountable to our values, you know, and to what we prioritize, we have a different way of communicating with other people. You know, the things you say to your colleagues or, you know, your, your players or your students, it has a different effect when they can feel that you are accountable to yourself. When you really mean, if I tell a kid to get up at 5 a.m. and get a lift in before the 6 a.m. practice, it means something different if I've been doing it every day, right? And so that, that concept of being accountable to ourselves is, it takes a lot of maturity, you know, it really does because it is, um, it's not easy to do. And like you said, it's very easy to go into a state of self-deprecation uh, and start to judge ourselves if we don't um, do what we told ourselves we were going to do. And so, you know, I certainly battle with that. Um, it, but it's, um, it's, it's something that is a focus for myself and, and definitely something I'm trying to impart. And, and I love that. 
because, and again, folks, if you're listening, I'm here with Marty Bowes. He's a pro lacrosse player. He's a coach. But this isn't something that's um, exclusive to sports. This is something that applies to the business world. This is something that applies to any law enforcement. It applies to any <clears throat> different um, uh, any different job title that you might have out there, anything you do. So, you know, it's just something you should think about, the self-accountability and the importance of that with, with being successful in whatever it is you do. Also in that video, you touched upon it, there's race relations. Mm. All right. It talks about, you know, the integration of a football team. You are involved in a sport that is not a super diverse sport. And I know that you are passionate about increasing the diversity in that sport. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, you know, first and foremost, just like something struck a chord with me last summer after the, the, the murder of George Floyd. And, and um, it, it'll, it, it really turned uh, the page in that, you know, I realized that I, I am not doing everything that I could be doing uh, for this issue. You know, this is something that I've heard my black and white counterparts bring up in different contexts but I've never like stepped in and, and had like a solid opinion. I've sort of just let things develop and, and that sort of changed last summer. But, you know, as far as uh, things that are happening right now, what I'm really trying to do is echo the voices of my black colleagues. A lot of the players that are in, um, in particular, the black lacrosse Alliance that are, you know, the, all the professional lacrosse, uh, mostly in the PLL, uh, black players in, in, the, in that alliance that are pushing for change and, and sending messages out into the world, I'd like to try to echo those messages and, and support those messages as best I can um, and learn. You know, I, I don't have answers. I, I, I have my own experiences and I've grown up in America white, you know, and so that experience has put me into this category that, uh, you know, I've, I've been so privileged to not only have you know, this incredible upbringing, these parents that love me so much and, and, and provided all these uh, resources for me to fulfill my dreams and, and, and step into these different environments prepared, but also, you know, feeling like I, I need to empathize with what uh, my black and brown counterparts, my colleagues are talking about and not just hear it and say, I agree with you, but hear it and try to understand where they're coming from, not not be like, oh, I get it, I get what it's like to be you, but try to empathize with where they're coming from, so that hopefully I can I can help again promote their messages and 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 stir some change in um, in some people that might be on the fence about what they really believe. You know, um, it, it's an it's an interesting dynamic. You know, this this whole country is, you know, ready for a or for a, a an argument. Right. And, and, and they're, they got their stake in the ground over here. And if someone over here says something, they're coming to, and it's a battle. And so my hope is to, uh, through compassion, you know, through empathizing and loving uh, someone who disagrees with me, hopefully we can find some common ground. I love it. You know, and one of the things we talk about here on Supply the Why quite a bit is we must seek to understand. So without seeking to understand the point of view and the experiences of other people, it is impossible to even reach middle ground, let alone try to convince somebody one way or the other. If you, if you can't meet in the middle, I mean, 
you can forget about trying to get people to see your point of the view. So um, I, I think you're onto something there. And I think by just even mentioning that 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 it, that there's an existence of maybe things are different for you than they are than they were for me because you're white. I mean, I grew up in a suburb, you know. My, you know, so I grew up around white people. But but I can tell you right now, like I, it, it was very obvious to me that I was not white, and there were differences even at a very young age. There were there were clear cut differences, and though ninety plus percent of my of my upbringing and, and my experiences were great i still had to endure some things at a young age that mm. a lot of young um my my young white friends didn't have to and they, and they probably couldn't have even really got their head around it if they um if they felt some of the things that i did so i'm gonna hit the chat real quick so heidi's got a question how do we introduce the sport of lacrosse to those communities that may not have the resources all right, Great more money to play lacrosse. Yeah, yeah, need, need resources. Um, super good opportunity to plug my, my really good friend and colleague, uh, Kevin Barney, who um, he's he's a director of the MBYLL, but he's uh, on, a, on a mission right now to uh, raise, I believe, upwards of $300,000 for this particular cause and to help provide equipment, provide sticks, provide coaching for uh, – you know, under underprivileged communities that wouldn't have the opportunity otherwise, and give them free tuition to the MBYLL so that they can take part. Um, you know, stuff like that. You know, that's how we got to do this. Is we have to attack fundraising as um, as as a as something that we have to take upon ourselves. And, and uh, you know, there's 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 groups that that are trying to do this as well. But I really truly believe if an individual uh, takes it upon themselves. I think a lot can be done, you know, because they can rally behind that person and people can sort of buy in and chip in as, as needed. But um, stuff like that, you know, that's how we do it, you know, and, and spreading the awareness and you know, social media changes everything, right? Like who knows who's watching this right now that I never would have, uh, you know, been able to be in front of otherwise. But um, just promoting messages isn't enough, right? We have to actually provide resources. And so, um Easier said than done, but you know, supporting people like uh, my good friend Kevin Barney is, is one way. All right, and you know something? I'm gonna piggyback that question. I'm gonna say that is for disadvantaged uh, minorities, but I'm also gonna speak for the middle class and middle income minorities because there's quite a few of us out there. So I don't think a lot of people realize that lacrosse A is a sport is, they don't know much about it and B, they don't realize that lacrosse is as welcoming as it is because that's how, so I'm going to take a step back and talk about how you and I met. So you and I met um, when my, uh, my son plays lacrosse and it got, it was fairly obvious uh, a couple of years ago that it was more than just something he just kind of liked to do. He seemed to really like it and have a little bit of an affinity towards the sport. So because of that, I, um, my wife and I had a had a discussion, and we decided to seek out additional coaching for him, you know, beyond you know his his club team, and that's how you and I met. So we come in to compete one Saturday morning, and you know I bring in you know my wife, my son, and I, and we you know, we sit down and we, and we, and, we, and we're talking to you, and you're giving this fantastic presentation about about all the benefits of compete, and your point of views, and how you want to you know 
build the mentality of, of young of young players. And I didn't think for a second that color mattered to you. I didn't think for a second that my son wasn't going to be welcome. You know, so I, uh, I mean, you had me. I mean, you and I we joke about it all the time. You, you talked about something. Yep. So Heidi put it in the chat. She said you talked about the flow state, and when you talked about the flow state, you had me right then and there. That that whole thing about being in the zone and coaching kids through it and teaching people how to harness it. But the point I'm trying to make is, people need to know how welcoming the sport is, right? I mean, this isn't something that is exclusive. I mean, my son has never once had a problem. Yeah, uh, it's a controversial topic, you know, because what what happens is if you start to listen to the stories of some of the professional players, uh, some of the black professional players, you'll get a different story. You know, um, how welcoming is lacrosse? Right? You come into my office, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna say I'm over here on one side of the spectrum, right? I grew up in a in a city, you know, I had plenty of black and brown friends growing up. Um, there's a, there's a certain welcoming I, I'm able to create an environment that I don't think is true across the board of lacrosse. And that's, that's the reality. Um, there's a number of uh, instances, you know, hundreds, maybe even thousands, where there's one black kid on an all-white team. And at some point, they just stop showing up. Why? Was it maybe something vulgar that was terribly said? Probably not. It, but it's those little it's those little things that um, when you grow up in an all white community with maybe one or two or three a small amount of minorities that are on your you know team organization there's not a concerted effort to really try to understand where they're coming from and so now that there's this sure. you know at least a national conversation at play now these programs are starting to be like, well, how welcoming are we really? And how do we be more welcoming? And, and there's a lot of I don't knows, right? Uh, I certainly don't have the answer to that. I would like to think that we're going to make it better as, as these years go on. Um, but it's, it's a sad truth. You know, I, I, there's, there's some uh, uh, players I, I idolize, you know, these guys. I idolize these guys. And I've heard them say on social media, you know, I don't know if I really want my son to play lacrosse. How can you argue with that, right? I mean, that's some, the sport that they love, that they that they that they've dedicated their life to, and they're they're questioning whether it's really as welcoming as 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 they would like it to be. So, I think it's I think it's a good conversation to have because because I I do think like, you know, you you seem to think it's it's pretty welcoming which you know it's awesome that your experience has been that so far but my concern is that as he gets to high school and 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 you know ideally maybe college what happens then is it is it as welcoming then um, it, you know so you know we'll see but it's um it's something that I do think a lot about i, I mean these are great points this is such an important discussion because there's a couple things at play here because first of all um, maybe I'm comparing my son's experience to my experience when I was, though I didn't play lacrosse when I was playing youth sports. And I was, when you just said like, you know, the one black kid on the team, hello, <laughs> that was me. That was me. I mean, I could, yeah. I could show you pictures. I should, probably should have had one on deck where I was the only black kid on, on all, just about all of my sports teams up until 
middle uh, junior high. You know, just the way it was, and and for the most part, like I said, you know, I I, I had I had good coaches, I, I had caring coaches, I had uh my my very first basketball coach, uh, Mr. Wager. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna mention him by name, and he used to have a thing, and he used to pull me, put his arm around me before a game, and he'd point to the backboard. He said, "You see that up there?" And he pointed to the backboard. And says, "They have your name written all over it. I want you to, I, you know, every ball that comes off, I want it. I want you to, I want I want you to get it." And 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 he just got me excited and made me feel like welcome and and you know and that kind of and you're right like I'm hoping like you know the positive experience my son's had with you and had with you know a couple of his other coaches it springboards him into just being like you know what I do belong here and I love I love being here and that's the way he feels right now but to your point it couldn't possibly be that way everywhere I'd be naive to think yeah. that everybody's having that same experience yeah and I think what's what's interesting to talk about too on the subject is. So like you grew up in the suburbs and, and you were, you know, around mostly white people, right? Mm -hmm. So I, I know a couple of colleagues that were in lower income, you know, not around mostly white people growing up until they got to high school and college. And then they started to be around more white people. And one in particular, I'm not going to name his name. He's playing college lacrosse and his coach, him, him and his coach got into a little argument whatever it was. And his coach said to him, I don't know how to talk to you people. Something like that. Right. I don't know if he said you people. He said, I don't know how to talk to guys like you. Or I don't know how to talk to black people is what he was getting at. And like, that's, you know, hold up like, whoa. Right. Right. Right then and there. But at the same time, it's like, it opens up this different conversation of, you know, if, if you've only worked with white suburban uh, people, you can't, you can't take that same approach with someone who grew up in lower income, right? And I think this is actually a decent segue into some of the police work that we could talk about, but that's one of the things I've, I've, I've been really fascinated by where, like, if you go into a different section of town, do you expect to talk to someone the exact same way you would talk to your white neighbor and and then get confused while you're getting such a different result you know it's just it's an interesting dynamic that um i think as coaches we need to be very very uh, attuned to if we're going to get the most out of our players and, and and make our players feel as comfortable as they as they can well let me speak to that but we're going to hit the chat real quick first all right so all right, so an old coach of mine has a question. He says, should lax follow in the footsteps of tennis and make a concentrated effort to get into communities with kids of color and put resources into building sports in their inner cities? There are several Division II schools offering scholarships for lax, both men and women, and if the sport invested in the grassroots programming, we may see an uptick. What are your thoughts on that? That's a great. That's uh, from Coach. Yeah. V. Thank you, Coach V. Thank you. No, that sounds great. I think. Uh, I mean, the short answer is yes, right? I mean, this is this is exactly what we want, and I do believe that there are organizations like um, like Harlem Lacrosse that are doing that work, you know. And and as they get more resources, um, I think that there's more opportunities for for situations like that to rise up. You know, I, I don't know too much about how that tennis. Um, progression went yeah you were, you were young when that with that 
But tennis is hard, man. Frick, that like I can't. I'm trying to keep that thing in bounds. <laughs> so, so yeah. So that is a, a fair point. In um, obviously, you know, Venus and Serena are um, obviously they show it shows what happens when you can branch out into and bring in other other people of color, other you know, just other ethnicities into a sport. How great the results can be. Tiger Woods as well with with um, golf. All right, so Bob has a question. What changes would you like to see in the youth or high school game? Great question. Um, this is something that uh, this, you know, my first thought here is I, I believe that one big thing that we're missing um, as a whole in America with, with our youth lacrosse is, is the um, awareness of the roots of the sport. You know, how did this sport come to be? This is the creator's game. This is the medicine game. What does that mean? How did it, how did it come to be called that? Um, that's something that if you ask a, a, a youth or high school player anywhere in America, they might not have an answer for you. They don't know. Um, and so, you know, the, the, the biggest thing that I would like to see changed is the, uh, allowing um, gratitude to be paid. Uh, allowing time, whether it be a pregame ritual that, that starts or some form of, you know, gratefulness uh, tied into, don't just roll the ball out and play. It's like hard-nosed, oh, this is how we play lacrosse in America, blah, blah, blah. You know, you don't, we don't know what it was like to, to get to this point, you know, and, and so I think uh, having some form of, of education of the roots of the sport be tied into the experience of a high school, particularly a youth or high school, uh, you know, experience, I think would be really beneficial, you know, and allowing people to understand that it is, it is medicine to be able to play this game. You know, that's why it's called the medicine game is when uh, someone in uh, a tribe would be uh, sick or down or, you know, off, they would, call for a medicine game to allow all the energy from that game would go towards that individual that needed that medicine. That's amazing. Um, and it, it's, it's powerful stuff and, and, and people don't know that. And, and um, I didn't know that you know, until I was able to play at, at the professional level and you start to meet, you know, the world gets smaller and smaller when you get to the top. And, and um, you know, when you meet some of these people that grew up, on reservations and grew up in Canada and, and, and um, really uh, understand and, and embody that, um, that true meaning. It changes the way you think about the sport. It changes the way you think about every step you take, every single breath. You, like it just, it's different. So, so I'd love to see that worked into it. Well, so there's the mental part of the game, but how about a specific facet of the game? Uh, like a rule change? Would you just like to see, for example, more contact, less contact? Yeah, um, that kind of deal. Yeah, I think um, maybe you know, contact is is great. I, I just think, an example. Uh, That's just an example. Yeah, what I would like to see is uh, what I do with my youth players to improve skill and improve field awareness is I create uh, a rule, a three second rule that you can't have this ball on your stick for more than three seconds. Um, one of the hardest things to teach to uh, coach, especially at youth, is off-ball movement. Yeah. You know, when you have the ball in your stick, someone's trying to get it from you, 
it's pretty obvious you should move around. You should move, go somewhere else because this guy's going to get you if you don't. But when you don't have the ball on your stick and your teammates got it, a lot of times people just stand around. Oh, you know, I, I think I'm open or maybe they're just out to lunch. When there's that three-second rule installed, I've really found success in getting kids to move off ball and, and with a sense of urgency that they know their teammate has to get rid of the ball soon, so let me get open now. Um, so I would like to see that. It's like Honestly, I would like, I'd love to see that at the younger levels, um, shorter field games, um, yep. introduction to box lacrosse. Uh, you know, it's, it's faster pace, balls in play more, uh, more reps on offense and defense, more touches on the ball, less about clearing and riding and, and systems and things like that. Just let them play, let them get touches on the ball. And then I think when you get to maybe eighth grade or um, the high school level, you can have more of a structure to, um, to the field lacrosse game that we know. All right. So we're going to switch gears here. We're going to go and get away from the actual game of lacrosse. And we're going to switch roles. So you had told me the other day that there were some questions that you had for me. Mm. Absolutely. And questions. And it was a hard, hard question or two, right? That's right. All right. So let's, let's yeah. go ahead. Let's seek to understand each yeah. other. Well, you know, just for context, um, anyone that's maybe watching this from, from um, one of my social media channels, you know, so you are a police officer in the city yep. of the town of Stoughton, correct? Yep. How many years have you been doing that? So I've been a police officer for 17 years. I've been in law enforcement. 17 years police officers, right? So, you know, what I what I think about uh, is uncomfortable situations that arise. Uh, and I try to put myself and, again, empathize with my counterparts, right, with whether it's a, a civilian or a police officer. And so I started thinking about, man, like, you know, I have access to this awesome guy who's willing to talk to me about whatever and uh, let me coach his son and, um, you know, willing to hear me out. And, and so I was like, what is a situation that that you may have encountered that is um, something that might have needed to get checked? Right. So, someone needed to get told that that's not OK. And so where my mind went is, you know, we've been told, right, especially since last summer, we've been told that there's a lot of bad cops, right? And and maybe we should defund the police. And there's been all these conversations of civilians that have opinions, you know, have opinions on how the police should be run and things like that. Um, but without getting too much into that, more on the race side of things, have you been on the job with your white counterpart cops you know, the good old boys and has the N word been said in a, in a scenario that you heard it and had to check someone on that and, 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 and how that play out, you know, how'd that make you feel? And, and do you feel like the other side understood where you were coming from? Was there a conclusion? So as far as the N word being thrown around in my presence, um, that's pretty, it's, it was pretty rare. So, the uh, one time comes to my mind right now where, um, again, I guess if you're a younger person, you, you make distinctions between uh, ER and GA at, or GAH at the end. You know what I mean? The, the two different meanings. So um, this was a GAH moment. And it was mentioned in such a way where it, was, where it wasn't like, hey, look at that group of GER. It was 
something along the lines, maybe uh, maybe like a song lyric or something like that. And it was a GA or GAH type deal. And it was in my presence. And I immediately was like, why? Why? You don't hear me say it. You know what I mean? So you're not saying it because you heard me saying it. And now you, you're like, well, you know, like he says it and we're cool and we're good friends. I mean, mm-hmm. this is a good friend of mine. This is somebody who's who I trust my life to. And they said it. This is somebody who had invited me to family events and 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 been around and been there for me when I've been down. This wasn't somebody who was setting me up because they were racist. This was if they were, they, I mean, they they have the most discipline I've ever seen <laughs> to be that to have that kind of discipline over the amount of time that we uh, that we work together to wait for that one moment to say surprise, I'm racist. You know what I mean? Like it wasn't it wasn't necessarily that, but it, what it was was it was um. You know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna coin a new term. I don't know if people say it very often, but there's something. It's not just you're like not racist or racist. There's levels in between there. So that level in between there, I'm gonna call it racially insensitive. There are people that are, are just racially insensitive. They're not race. They're not racist. They don't actively go out and try to hurt people of different races or disadvantage people. Mm-hmm. But sometimes they just don't think about the effects of their words and actions against. Um, that are towards people of different races. It's not an intentional mm. thing. Like again, they don't wake up in the morning and say, you know what, today's my day, and I'm gonna I'm gonna make Dean feel like uh like he's less of a person than I am. But you know, just without thinking, they just maybe say something, or maybe it maybe a joke um that that's kind of an off-collar joke. And it's kind of like, well, you know, like maybe you should have thought that through. So this mm. the time you're talking about was just like one, it was one of those, it was you know what I mean, and I just kind of I, I just asked why, and I think sometimes that you make people feel smaller that way by making them explain themselves. You know mm. what I mean? This is somebody, like, if I wanted to, yes, I could have beat this person up or stuff like that, but, I mean, I'm a grown man. This person's a grown man. Like, it wasn't, it, it wouldn't have accomplished what the me just simply forcing this person to explain themselves accomplished. Got it. That, that's, that's my answer to that. And then there was one time when a citizen... This is actually a funny story. So I am in um, a very bad section of, of the jurisdiction I worked in at the time. And I see this, this woman, this white woman, she's um, she's pacing back and forth. She's just like, just acting crazy, very erratic. Obviously she calls me, she, she, she must've wanted my attention. Cause it's not like she could have missed me. We're in an alley, it's light out. I'm in full uniform. So I go over to this woman, I say, hey, what's, what's, what's going on? What's the problem? And she goes, you know, it's my daughter. I said, really? Tell me about your daughter. What's going on with your daughter? She goes, my daughter's dating this effing N-word. And I don't understand why. This woman looks right at me and chooses me to have that conversation with. So I take a second, and I got to admit, it was so, it caught me so off guard that I think I started laughing. And I said, (laughs) I said to her, I said, what in the hell would make you say that to me? Because <laughs> I, I, I had to hear what her answer was. And then she goes into the whole, well, you're not really, you know, you're, you're a police officer. You're, you, you know what I mean? I'm like, no, I don't. I have no idea what you mean. Don't ever say anything like that around me again. Beat feet. And, I, and that was the end of it. Wow. I see her three weeks. But it gets better. I see her three weeks later. <laughs> Three weeks later, same alley, 
coming out of an establishment, walking arm in arm with a guy who's my complexion, smiling. And I see her, I said, hey, I'm like, you remember me from a few weeks back? And she goes, yeah, 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 I remember you. She goes, um, I said, weren't you the one that, that dropped, dropped that N-bomb on me? And she was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I said, well, what is this? What changed in three weeks? You were complaining that your daughter was dating this person of color. I see you walking out with this gentleman arm in arm. She looks at me dead in my face, smiles with her, um, with the teeth that people that do drugs have. And she, she says, the dark of the berry, the sweet of the juice, baby, and walks off with this guy. What? You can't make this stuff up. It's part of why being a police officer is the best job in the world, because you have these stories where this woman says something so crazy to me here, and then fast forward a few weeks later, she does a complete 180, and she's a different person. So these are the type of things you see when you're when you when you're a, a police officer of color, mm. and um and you see how people view you. How, how if I had been in that same alley, not in uniform, maybe she would have seen me differently. Sure, maybe it would have been a you know a GER instead of a GA or a GAH in her mind. I don't know, but but um, those are just two different examples of times I've had to check somebody yeah. and have a conversation with somebody that um maybe might have felt made them feel a little uncomfortable. Sure. And, uh, and that, and that's, I hope that answered your question there. No, for sure. For sure. I mean, it's, I'm, I'm intrigued. I'm, I'm fascinated. It, it's, I, you see some of these videos of people talking in, in a, that are clearly racist. And I think the part that it's not confusing to me, but the part that irks me the most is how sure of themselves they are like true delusional uh, behavior that when you truly believe that you're correct in thinking that you're better than someone because of the way that they look. Uh, I mean, it, it's not, it's not humane, but it's literally there, there's, there's a, there's a missing link that um, hopefully through compassion, they can come back. You know, I, I maybe give them the missing link if you want. What's that? For you right now, if you want, that's an easy one. You sure. know what the link is? What's the that? The link is when they act like that and when they make those statements around people that look like them but don't necessarily agree with them, mm. they're not getting called out by those people. It's one of those things by where the silence of those people that they're making these comments around makes them complicit. It's like it's like there's two types of okay. Right, there's two types of crimes. There's a crime of commission, which means it's something that you actively do. I walk into a store, I take a Kit Kat, I put it in my pocket, I leave. Mm. I walk up to somebody, I stick a knife in their torso, and then I leave. Right, mm. those are crimes of commission. A crime of omission is when you fail to act and you fail to step up and you fail to do the right and moral thing. So that is what makes those people so bold. Because they think they figure, hey, well, nobody's calling me out on this. I'm, I mean, I must. There must be something to it. You must agree with me. Mm. I sit right in front of you, Marty, and you didn't say anything. Mm. So I'm going to assume by your silence that you agree with me. Right. Well, that is the missing link that you're talking about. That's what emboldens these people, and that's what allows them to flow that way. Because nobody is challenging them or checking what they're saying. Wow. Have you ever heard that before? Do you? So do you? I mean, I, I think so, and it, it honestly makes a lot of sense. I think um, 
that's something that, you know, we've talked about before too, that I, I would like to be uh, not committing that crime. You know, if, if something were to happen, and, and I think that's something that I would really like to impart on the people that I work with and the people that I spend time with, you need to understand that if you are white in America, you have a different experience than someone who is of color. And when uh, a situation arises or you hear uh, someone say something that they shouldn't be saying, it's it's on you. You know, it's, it's on you to step up and let them know that that's not okay. Right. Um, I mean, it's it's powerful and it's not easy. You know, it's 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 definitely not easy. But, but imagine how much harder it is for someone like yourself that must that, that hear something like that. You know, why why should you have to be the one that says something um, when someone who looks like them can? And and, there, and therein lies the, the dilemma, Marty. That is where the privilege talk comes up. I'm talking like the real privilege stuff, not the whole like, you know, Dean and Marty are born the same day, same hospital. Marty has 50 G's in his bank account. Dean has zero. Not that kind of privilege. Privilege, I'm going to explain white privilege the way I explain it to people when I talk to groups, when I provide trainings, when I talk to people that I, that I, that I have an emotional, like a, a relational credit score with. The way I explain it is very simple. White privilege is simply being on the right end of the benefit of the doubt. That's it. That's the simplest way to put it. You and I both walk into a place, you'll look at one way. It's like, oh, he's just a good guy. Or if you're or if you're loud and boisterous, like, ah, he's just having a good time, had a few drinks. I came in loud and boisterous. People are like, oh, what's wrong with this, this, this guy? You know, like angry black dude. Why is he so loud and, and, and demonstrative? That is the privilege piece. It's that you can act one way, I can act what I would perceive as that same way, and it's viewed as two completely different things. And when you're always on the wrong end of that, that is when the privilege comes out. Wow. It's like literally the best explanation I've heard. You, you can't, I mean, maybe someone is thinking of an argument for that, but in my opinion, you can't argue that. I've been I've been let off the hook so many times because I look like a nice guy, you know, and I've made plenty of mistakes. Um, but I I think I, I try to be a nice human being. I try to be kind to others, try to be considerate. And so when I get let off the hook, it feels like, oh, well, it's because I'm a nice guy. Mm-hmm. And the more and more I have conversations like this, you realize that maybe it is because you're nice, but it's also because you're not black. Because when there's no fear that you're a threat, it's a lot easier to let you off the hook. But when you don't understand where someone's coming from and you have subconscious fear tied into seeing a large black man, you're going to act differently. You're going to treat them differently. And, and, and what's upsetting is people aren't willing to admit that. And, and I'm, I'm hoping that that changes. Well, we, I mean, we all have biases. Like, there's nobody, I don't care what color you are, I don't care what your sexual orientation is, I don't care what color your eyes are, any of that stuff. We all have biases, and we all have preconceived notions about other human beings. It's a survival mechanism. As a police officer, of course, there's, there's, you, you have biases, and you have, and you have preconceived notions about somebody. I'll give you one right now. If I see somebody walking, and I see that their arms are swinging abnormally, Maybe they have some sort of physical condition, or maybe the reason why one of their arms isn't swinging is because they're pinning a firearm against their hip. 
but I am going to look at them a little differently than I see than somebody who's walking with a normal gait. That is a safety concern. That is a bias based on safety. Hmm. If I see somebody, if I see two people in in an in, in a what I would consider a a less than traveled area, and they do a handshake in such a way, and it looks like two people are exchanging goods. That looks like a drug deal to me. Mm. Maybe they, maybe they they have some funky handshake. Who knows? But that that those are signs that I'm gonna uh, my based on my training experience, my bias is gonna automatically say, you know what? They're meeting in an area where people typically don't meet. They the handshake kind of lingered a little bit, and they both kind of did one of these and walked off. That feels like a drug deal to me, and I'm gonna probably act accordingly until I can I can satisfactorily disprove that. Mm. Well, there's all different kinds of biases out there, and but people have to admit that they have them. We all have them, and then mm -hmm. we can start addressing them and what's behind them. But until that happens, until people start admitting that they even have them, and it, it's it's um it's a moot point. It's very difficult to have this discussion. Agreed. It's interesting. I just came full circle, and it really goes back to uh, accountability, holding mm -hmm. yourself accountable, understanding that you do have bias. If you think you don't, you're lying to yourself. What's up, coach? <laughs> hey, DJ, how are you, buddy? So DJ's on, so we, um, it's a good thing we're keeping our language clean because he, he decided to, to chime in and uh, and check out what we're talking about. So we got a little deep there, and and I hope people get something from that. I mean, this is um, it's difficult conversation for a reason. We're supposed to talk about things. We're supposed to go to areas where where it, it's more than just your normal conversation so you can see what's behind the curtain, so to speak. So Mike Powell says, I got exhausted. Just listen to how much you're grinding. Good stuff. Keep pushing your dreams and welcome to the show. I appreciate that notion, Michael. I promise you I'm getting seven to nine hours of sleep every night and I spend plenty of time recovering my body. So I feel great. Well, that's what happens. You know, uh, uh, my kids would never allow us to get seven to nine hours of sleep, but um, it's, it, we, can dream. <laughs> we can dream. So maybe, maybe in about, in about 12 years when we can, uh, we can kick them out and they can go to college and yeah. go live their own lives. Yeah. Math and the art of the power nap. <laughs> so we've gotten deep and we, we went down the rabbit hole a little bit. Let's bring it back. Let's talk about something positive in the last five minutes. We, what do you got going on now? And what does your what is what does twenty twenty one look like for Marty Bowes and compete? Um, well, uh, I'm really trying to hone in on this mentorship program that I mentioned earlier. Uh, right now, I've got uh, about fifteen of thirty slots filled, uh, and and what the, what that's allowing me to do is again go deep with with those clients that I am working with on a week to week basis, but. Um, once I have a, a sustained weekly flow with that, I can really put my attention onto um, other projects that I have passionate about. One or two I'd already mentioned, and um, another pop project that I'm super passionate about, which is playing lacrosse. You know, I'd love to come back to playing the sport that I love so much, and um, luckily, I, I think I'll have a good opportunity later this year. Well, I can tell you right now, there's there's a household in Stoughton that is dying to see you get back out there because, uh, I mean, man, your, your, your intensity, your, your passion for the sport, your passion for the learning process. Um, I got to be honest, as much as I want to see you play, I, I just like your passion for the learning process. That's obviously something that's Thank important. You. Why the why 
it's important to me personally and 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 your just desire to seek to understand and your desire to find different ways to change the paradigm of 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 your players and coaches is uh is phenomenal it's something that i i i've said it to you before i'm going to say it in front of everybody that's listening i wish you were around <laughs> when i was playing like you were what was missing from me uh as as an athlete i needed somebody who could who could break things down in such a way where um where I could understand accountability and different levels of accountability. And I, I maybe I wasn't so hard on myself or, or you know, I didn't get down when people um, had some negative things or what I perceived to be negative mm. to say about me. Um, yeah. So I, I appreciate what you're doing, Marty. I really do. Thank you, man. And, and it, that's one of my students there says he's learned a lot. You know, it's um, what you said about the continuous improvement. I, I didn't realize that that was my brand. Uh, it's just, I just kept, getting said no to, you know, people kept telling me I wasn't there yet. So I clearly had to change something. And so it was embedded into my daily and, and, and weekly and monthly and yearly um, approach to find something to get better at, strengthen a strength, strengthen a weakness, you know, get smarter. Um, and what's been really, really profoundly helpful uh, to bring it back to the, to the martial art reference is this concept of appreciating the plateau, you know, when you when you keep getting better, it's not it's not like this, right? It's you, you get better and then you plateau for a while. And what happens during that plateau is you keep practicing. You keep practicing, and if you don't uh, continue practicing, you're gonna stay at that level. But if you keep practicing, you keep practicing, even though you're not getting better, you keep practicing anyways. Here comes that next jump, right? And so when you learn to appreciate the plateau, for any of my athletes that are listening out there. Don't train for the sake of getting better. Like if you, at the end of your session, if you're like, I, I need to get better at the end of this session, you got the wrong mentality. You know, you have to practice because it's the right thing to do because you're disciplining yourself and you're holding yourself accountable. The, the improvement will come. Improvement will come. Appreciate the plateau. Oh my God! Why do I have to be forty-five years old? I'm telling you, I'm telling you, if I would, if I wouldn't break a hip, man, I'm ready to go out in the football field right now and and run a very slow forty time. Hey, we might be get, we might be getting some martial arts training in one of these days. I'm telling you, maybe that's the collaboration we need to do. Um, Marty, how can we follow you? How can we? How can people learn more about what you're doing and follow your progress and support you in all that you're trying to do in the sport? Yeah, I think uh, I, I'm available on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, at MJ Bowes, M-J-B-O-W-E-S. Um, you know, I, I check my my DMs. You know, so if, if you've got questions, anything we went over today, or you want to help me and support some of the things that I'm working to support, shoot me a direct message on any of those platforms, and uh, I'd be happy to have a conversation with, with anyone. You know, I, I'm, I'm happy to talk. Well, folks, you heard it here. I am co-signing this gentleman. If you have kids that are involved in sports, it doesn't even have to be lacrosse. If you just want to teach them the other level of preparation, you want to make your young men and young women, uh, you want to put them on the path to be great adults. This is a guy you got to have in your life. Marty Bowles. And I got a surprise for you, Marty. Come on over. <laughs> there we go. What yeah. up, DJ? Good so, to see you, man. Nice hoodie. It was important to him that... Was that nice hoodie? Nice hoodie. Thanks. <laughs> so it was important for him to come over and say hello to you. That's the kind of respect he has for you. He's never once come in and interrupted a show 
in 25 <laughs> shows. He interrupts the one that you're on, and that's the kind of difference you're making in this young man's life. So hats off to you, Marty. Thank you so much for joining us. Folks, thank you so much for tuning in. This has been a very, um, hopefully, a very educational episode of, of, of Difficult Conversations. Please like it. Please share it. Please follow us on all our social media platforms. And this is, uh, like I said, this is, we're just getting started here with these great conversations. Marty, thank you so much. Everybody, again, thanks for taking time away from your family. And as always, hashtag supply the why. We'll see you next week. Thank you.